Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you that you reveal yourself to us in it. And we pray as we think through uh, this command today that you would help us to understand the great God that you are, all that you've done for us in Christ and how we are to live as your people. And we pray it all in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, I'm sure many of you have heard the name Cristiano Ronaldo before. Uh, One of the greatest footballers uh, to ever play the game. He's won the world's uh, best player award, not once, not twice, but five times. In fact, he's won pretty much every award and trophy uh, that you can win. He holds you know, multiple records for uh, goals scored and, and he'll probably be remembered uh, as long as the game is played. And a few years back when he led his home country, Portugal, uh, to their first ever European Championship trophy... His nation uh, tried to honour him by naming an airport or renaming an airport after him. And to immortalise his greatness, they created a bronze statue, uh, a bust of him, something that would last forever, something that would capture his magnificence, his glory, his good looks, something that, well, yeah, (laughs) as you can see... Uh, they didn't quite capture Ronaldo's greatness. In fact, it was mocked all around the world. Uh, Fans uh, started editing photos of him uh, to match this statue fail. Uh, They edited the cover of uh, PlayStation games that he was on to match his new likeness. Uh, Instead of something that brought him honour, if anything, this brought him shame. Uh, And that's often the case when we do things like this. If you've ever seen those portrait tattoos uh, that people get of their loved ones, uh, you'll know that, yeah, they just, they rarely do their subject honour. Images like this uh, are more likely to embarrass and humiliate and degrade uh, another human rather than represent them appropriately. And if this is the case with us, Uh, How much more when we try to use an image to represent the God of the universe? Well, that's what we'll be thinking about today as we look at one of the Ten Commandments. Uh, As Simon said, we've just finished our Exodus series and last week uh, it ended with God just about to give uh, the law, the Ten Commandments, uh, to his people. And we've got one week before our new series in 1 Peter and I thought, well, in the, in the week in between, let's look at one of those Ten Commandments uh, as an example. Well, we're going to do the second commandment today, where God says, don't make any image to bow down and worship. Now, for many of you, that might seem like an odd choice to pick out of the bunch, and seems like a command not all that relevant to us today. After all, we're not like the people 3,000 years ago. We, we know better than to worship a statue uh, but, but apart from the fact that actually it still happens all around the world, uh, even if we don't uh, do that, uh, this command has really important principles about how we're to think about God, how we're to relate to God, how we're to worship God. Uh, it's still extremely relevant for us today. Uh, so uh, before we jump in, though, let me uh, remind us of the context of these commands. And you'll have an outline that you've received as you've come in that'll help you follow on where we're going and to take notes, as Simon said. Uh, and uh, the first, uh, the Ten Commandments, they actually begin back in verses one and two of Exodus 20, where God said, 
I am the Lord your God who brought you out of Egypt, out of the land of slavery. Now these two verses are in many ways uh, the two most important verses of the whole Ten Commandments and they don't actually contain even a single command. And what makes them so important is not only do they set the context for our commands, but they give us the reason for why the Israelites are to live this way. And simply put, God says to them, you are to follow these 10 rules because I already have saved you. I think it'd be fair to say that for most people, uh, the Ten Commandments are a list of rules uh, that you follow to, to make you a good person and, and more specifically, make you right with God and, and, and earn His approval, earn a place in heaven. For many people, that's what a Christian is. That's their, their definition of a Christian. You ask them, are you a Christian? They say, yes, uh, I'm, a, I'm a good person. I obey the Ten Commandments. Uh, but these opening verses show us that this is the very opposite of why God is giving them. Uh, the context of these laws is one where God has already saved the Israelites, has already entered into a relationship with them. God here says to the Israelites, I already have saved you. I already have made you my people. I brought you out of Egypt. I freed you from slavery. And it's as his saved people, they are now given these commands. This is absolutely essential to get right because the Ten Commandments are not do this and I will save you. They are not obey these rules and I will make you my own. Not avoid these sins and I'll accept you. It's I have saved you. I have made you my people and this is how I want you to live as my people. It's grace, it's forgiveness, it's mercy and then obedience. God's done all the work in saving this is how they're to respond. And the first command in light of that is that we're to have no other gods besides him, uh, the true and living God. Now, this includes not worshipping uh, literal other so-called gods like um, Baal back in their day or could be uh, Buddha or Vishnu or Brahma. It includes um, Eastern practices like ancestor worship where you ask your ancestors to protect you or bless you or you pray to them. Uh, but in fact, it applies to anything we put before God, anything that we live for and serve instead of Him, that we delight in over Him, that we put our trust and hope in rather than Him. And so even good things uh, that we're to value uh, and, and do can become idols. Our, our career, our, our schooling can be an idol if you value it more than God. Uh, recreation and, and, uh, and the good gifts of creation, things that we're to enjoy and thank God for, be, can become idols if we value them uh, rather than the God who gives them. Uh, even family, something uh, the Bible says we're to take very seriously, can be an idol if uh, valuing your family stops you from loving God and, and meeting with His people and spending time with Him. The biggest idol, of course, uh, for all of us, though, is, is ourself. Uh, the root problem for all of us is that we reject God's rule and make ourselves the centre of the universe. We set the agenda, we set the rules. Um, it's my desires that matter most, not God's. And God's opening command was, don't, don't, don't do it. No other gods, only me, me alone. That's the first one. But brings us to our, our command for today, the second commandment. And, and let me read the actual uh, commandment bit from verse 4. 
You shall not make for yourself an image in the form of anything in heaven above or on the earth beneath or in the waters below. You shall not bow down to them or worship them. Okay, sounds pretty simple. We aren't to make any idols now, any images which we worship or serve. But what's he talking about? Now, it's easy to think that God here is talking about making statues of other gods, of Ganesh or Brahma uh, or Baal, uh, but that's not what he's talking about. That, that's already been covered by the first command. It's not as if God got to the end of commandment one, said no other gods and went, ah, there's a loophole here that I forgot to cover. Uh, there'll be some smart aleck down there on earth who goes, oh, this isn't actually another God. This is just a statue of another God. I'm not worshipping another God. I'm just worshipping a statue. That's covered by the first command. That, that's there. Um, that's already been dealt with. No, rather the second commandment is actually about how we worship our God, the one true God. The first commandment was about who we worship and serve. The second commandment is about how we worship and serve this God. And the second, it's just as important as the first. A good analogy, which we're going to come back to a few times uh, this morning, is the relationship between a husband and a wife. The first commandment would be like saying, you aren't to love any woman other than your wife. And you say, sweet, I'm not planning on having an affair, I don't flirt with any other women, bases covered, all-round great husband. But actually, that doesn't mean you're an all-round great husband, does it? Uh, you actually have to love your wife, and you have to love her in a way that she actually appreciates. Uh, and so my wife, it was her birthday just over a week ago, uh, and she hates horror movies, uh, she hates beetroot, uh, and so if for her birthday I decided... You know, I'm going to treat her to a, a horror movie marathon and make her a nice beetroot salad. Two things that I would enjoy. Um, and I would love expressing my love that way. Um, am I a good husband? Well, I mean, I'm not cheating on her. And I put in effort to actually show some love. But no, that, that's not loving behaviour. She, she'd be right to be upset. I should love her uh, the way she wants to be a to be loved and to ignore that is unloving and that's what God is saying here people like to say things like um, I like to worship God like this I like to worship God this way but, but that's rubbish because that's not how relationships work if I said I like to love my wife this way regardless of how she feels you'd see how ridiculous a statement that is well it's the same with God, in fact, more so. We expect God to be happy with being loved however we want to love him? No, we wouldn't put up with that. So why should the God of the universe, who made us and to whom we owe everything, why should he have to put up with that? Now, God here uh, says, you don't get to pick and choose how you worship me. I will tell you what I want. And here, he says, I don't want to be represented by any images. Don't make statues of me to put in your church. Uh, don't use images or paintings or drawings of me uh, before your eyes as you pray. God says, no, there's no image in the skies above or on the ground below or swimming in the ocean. I, there's, there's no image anywhere 
that I want you to use to represent me. And in fact, God feels pretty strongly about it. Uh, In verse 5, God uses four descriptions uh, for how he thinks and feels about this behavior. First, he says he's a jealous God. Then he calls such behavior sin. He says he's going to punish such behavior. And actually, he says this sort of behavior is hatred of him. Now, I'm not going to go through all four of those in detail, uh, but uh, the description of God here as a jealous God, as the basis of all this, it's something we don't really like here in the West these days. Uh, Jealousy, it seems like such a, a negative trait, not the sort of thing that a loving God would have. And, and after all, isn't jealousy a sin? Aren't we told not to be jealous in the Bible? Well, a few things need to be said here in response to that. Uh, first, uh, it's worth noting that this isn't the only time the Bible uses the term jealous to describe God. It's found all throughout the Bible. The Old Testament, the New Testament, uh, you'll find it in the, the beautiful poetry in the Psalms, uh, you'll find it in Paul's writing, you'll find it in, in James's writing, uh, just to name a few. In fact, uh, later on in Exodus, in the book that we're in, uh, jealous is said to be one of the names of God, God whose name is jealous. It's, it's core to who he is. Uh, This is all through God's Word. This is a regular description of Him. This is something we need uh, to to reckon with. But secondly, I think part of the issue that we find this so difficult is that we don't have the right definition of jealousy. I think uh, most of us, when we hear the word jealousy, what we mean is envy, coveting. Uh, And nowadays, they're used pretty interchangeably in English, but historically... Uh, they're actually different in in meaning. You see, envy and coveting, that's wanting what someone else has. Uh, So I see your your spouse, I see your uh, job, I see your possessions, I see your looks, I see your life, and I think, I want that for me. I wish that was mine. Jealousy, though, uh, means something slightly different. Jealousy is that response when someone takes or threatens to take that which is rightfully yours. Now, envy, coveting, always a sin in the Bible. We're told to be content with what God has given us and to be thankful to God and to trust Him uh, and to be happy for others when good things go their way. Not going, I wish that was mine, but because we love them, we, we rejoice when they get good things. Jealousy, though, it's not inherently sinful. It, it can be, like if a, a paranoid boyfriend... Uh, thinks his girlfriend's cheating and and starts mistreating her. That's sinful jealousy. But actually, jealousy can be a a good and proper thing. Uh, So, for instance, I remember when our our first daughter was born, uh, there was this story in Penrith in the news, and that's that's kind of, I was paying attention because our our daughter had just been born, uh, where this young woman uh, had her eight-month-old baby uh, snatched from her pram by another woman and she was reaching down to to get something out of her bag. Now, do you think that mother said, oh well, I can't be selfish. I guess I should share my baby around, you know. I had my turn, it's been a a wonderful eight months with her. If someone else wants a turn with my child now, um, I shouldn't stand in her way. (laughs) No. Uh, Thankfully, she grabbed the child back. Uh, I imagine ready to defend her uh, with her life, 
and she called the cops. That's a righteous jealousy. Uh, There's a desire to keep and protect what is rightfully yours. Or if someone was trying to seduce your spouse, you'd be right to feel jealous. That's not a bad response. In fact, if you didn't feel jealousy, that would be a problem. It would show how bad your relationship was. Uh, Jealousy is right in the context. They're your husband or, or wife, not to be shared. Indeed, that's the very analogy that the Bible uses over and over again of us and God. That's why we keep coming back to it. Uh, marriage, a husband and wife, that most intimate of relationships. God says, I made you for relationship with me. I sustain you each day. I give you every good thing that you have. If you're a Christian trusting in Jesus, I've saved you for a relationship with me. And I will jealously guard that relationship i want you to love me i want you to worship me just like i love you and provide for you and have saved you in fact this this analogy helps us to see that god's jealousy it's not a hate-filled thing but it's motivated in love it's because he loves us and wants a relationship with us that he's jealous If, if he didn't love us he wouldn't care if we went elsewhere It's because he loves us and values a relationship with us that idolatry matters. Because all idols are a betrayal of that relationship, a rejection of God for something else. It's like having an affair. It angers God. Indeed, uh, as as we said, it's something he calls sin in verse 5. He says he'll punish those who hate him this way. It's really strong language. When you do this, you hate me. People might think that they're loving God. People might think that they're honouring him or that it assists them in in loving him. But no, God God considers it hatred and he won't let it stand. Indeed, as we saw uh, in the story of the golden calf that Keith gave us earlier, uh, just a a dozen chapters after this, uh, when they commit this idolatry, we read that 3,000 people were slain in God's anger. It's not something to take lightly. But this still doesn't completely answer the question of why God hates images of him so much. The cheating partner analogy obviously works well with the first commandment and worshipping other gods. But what's so bad about images of him? Why is it such a big issue? Why doesn't God want me to use images of him? Now, in one sense, it shouldn't matter. He shouldn't need a reason. Imagine uh, you're a single guy... Uh, you really like this girl, but I don't know. You find out that for some random reason, she doesn't like tulips. Um, and you decide, you know what? Uh, I want to show my interest in her by buying her a bouquet of tulips. And you say, but, but mate, she doesn't like them. And you go, yeah, but she hasn't given me a good reason why she doesn't like tulips. And until she can explain it rationally, until she can give me a reason that I'm happy with, I'm going to give her tulips. And she should accept this offer of of love the way I have intended. Mate, you're not getting a date. It's not going to go well for you because you, you ignored her feelings. It's not up to her to change her feelings to accommodate you. You need to accommodate her. 
wants the same with God. He doesn't want to be worshipped this way. It's not up to God to change what he wants. It's up to you to love him how he wants. We already said that. That's the principle behind the second commandment. You don't get to love God how you want. You don't get to love, worship God how you want, regardless of how you feel about that. He gets to set the way we do this. But actually, there are several reasons given in the Bible uh, for why images are so bad. He doesn't just leave us with, I don't like it, deal with it. He actually tells us. Now, the first one, a really simple one, is, is they really just stay images uh, that help you think about God. Most people actually end up worshipping that thing in front of them. Uh, they give it special care. They cry if it gets destroyed because our love often gets transferred to that very thing. Our hearts are idol factories. We're very good at idolatry. And so we can't let it just stay an image to help us think about God. But actually, there's two other really big problems that the Bible talks about. Uh, The first uh, was given in our Isaiah reading today. It's up on the screen. You don't need to read it through. Uh, But our Isaiah reading today said that whatever image you use will ultimately rob God of glory, because nothing in the universe can adequately represent God. This is the all-powerful God who made the universe, who holds everything in the palm of his hand, who controls all things. You think a bull can represent his strength? A, A bull is nothing. It's like me comparing your strength to a snail. Oh, but, but a snail can carry its own house on its back. It's, it's really... Sh- Mate, a snail, I accidentally smoosh hundreds of them every time it rains. A snail is nothing. It doesn't represent my strength. What can represent the strength of God? What temporary physical, physical creation can you use to show a God who was not created but is eternal? What can you use to show that he is all powerful what image can you use to show his love and his compassion and his righteousness his justice his faithfulness you can't indeed whatever you create is lifeless unable to speak unable to hear without power or knowledge in no way can this represent the living God who speaks to us in his word who hears our prayers who knows all things and can do all things. No, it, it would be better than me using a, a pile of manure to represent you. I'm just going to be a little bit crude here for a second, forgive me. But imagine I said that when you're not around, I have this little sculpted pile of manure that I use to represent you. I've, I've sculpted it nicely, it matches all your features. And, and when I talk to you on the phone or I email you, I keep it in front of me so that I can think about you. How would that make you feel? I won't use the pun that I've got in my head, but um, it's insulting, it's offensive, isn't it? Forgive the analogy, but that's because it falls so far short of who you are. It robs you of dignity. Well, likewise, God says, anything that you make to represent me is going to be so far short of me that it's an insult. You might think that you're honouring me by making this statue and even using gold, fancy things, but no, it it dishonours God. That's one reason. 
But the second, the other one, it's found in Deuteronomy 4, uh, and it has to do with the way God has chosen to reveal himself to us and relate to us. Uh, Now, the context in Deuteronomy 4, God is looking back at Mount Sinai. He's talking about Exodus, chapters 19 and 20, where God reveals himself on the mountain. He, he talks about Horeb. Horeb's another name for Mount Sinai, where they are at this time. And Well, let me read from verse 15. You saw no form of any kind the day the Lord spoke to you at Horeb out of the fire. Therefore, watch yourselves very carefully so that you do not come, become corrupt and make for yourselves an idol, an image of any shape, whether formed like a man or a woman or like any animal on earth or any bird that flies in the air or like any creature that moves along the ground or any fish in the waters below. Do you know the reason God gives here for not making an image of him? He says that when I revealed myself to you at Mount Sinai, I didn't appear in any physical form. You only heard a voice. I related to you through my word. I revealed myself to you through my word. Not a mystical experience. He didn't give them a vision. He didn't become an animal. He chose to reveal himself to us by his words and to relate to us by his words. And so the way for us to know him and have a relationship with him is not to create idols by, that represent him or to seek mystical experiences or visions or things like that, but to listen to his word. He has revealed himself in his word. He relates to us in the word. So the way to know him, encounter him, experience him is his word. Now I'm going to come back to this in a minute at our final subpoint for today. But, but how do we break this command today? Now, there are a few uh, obvious examples within uh, wider uh, Christianity, particularly uh, you could uh, talk about uh, things in the Roman Catholic Church or, or Orthodox churches. Sometimes you see it in Anglican churches, uh, sadly as well. Uh, in many churches around the world, uh, you'll see that people will have statues and paintings of Jesus that they put in front of them and, and use to focus on when they're saying prayers and worship. They'll have crosses which they will kiss uh, to show their reverence for Jesus. Now, uh, you'll hear all sorts of fancy, re- fancy, fancy reasonings uh, to justify this. Uh, they'll say, uh, these aren't images, these aren't idols, they're icons, I don't think there's a difference, but okay. Uh, They'll say, I'm not worshipping this. It's just helping me worship. Uh, Now, I'm sure they genuinely believe that. Uh, I'm sure they'd be horrified to think that they're breaking the second commandment. But they still are. Um, Sure, they might know that this isn't actually God uh, and it's simply helping them think about him. But that's actually the same with the golden calf. The Israelites back then, they knew that the the cow that they'd made out of gold wasn't actually God. They knew it was just a representation of God. They weren't that dumb, but God still hated it. Such behaviour is, is, is out. But, you know, it's always easy to pick on another group that's not us. What about us? How might we break 
this commandment today? Well, I think there are two main ways we break this command, and they're represented by two phrases I put in the handout. I like to think of God as, and I feel close to God when. Uh, The first fails to love God as he actually is. The second fails to relate to God the way he's chosen to relate to us. And so the first one, I I like to think of God as. uh, It's something you hear people say all the time, especially when it comes to rejecting parts of God that we don't like. Oh, I don't like to think of God as a judge. I like to think of him as loving. I don't like to think of God as Lord, merely as a friend. I like to think of God as gentle, not not wrathful. Uh, You know, I know people, religious people, whose image of Jesus is one who accepts any behaviour, who doesn't care about any sins, uh, who affirms them in whatever they're doing. Uh, Usually it's sexual sin, but it can be any sort of sin. Uh, A God who just accepts all religions, no matter uh, what they are. Whenever we do this, we're actually breaking the second commandment because we're creating a different image of God in our head than who he truly is. We aren't worshipping the real God, we're worshipping a different God altogether, a God we have fashioned. Whenever you pick and choose the attributes, the characteristics of God that you want to believe him, believe in, the type of God that you want to worship, you aren't loving him. You're saying, I will only love you if you're how I want you to be, uh, if you conform to my standards. But I won't love you for who you really are. That's not loving God. That's, that's rejecting him. That's hatred of him. Uh, imagine I said to my wife, the final time we'll use the marriage analogy. Imagine I said to my wife, I think you're so beautiful that when I think of you, I like to think of you as a six-foot-tall, blonde, 21-year-old model. She approved me saying this, by the way. Um, but, but this is what captures how beautiful you are in my eyes. I know you think you're short, but I don't see you as short. I see you as six foot. I know you think you're getting older now, but I don't see you as getting older. I see you as 21. That's how I like to think of you when I talk to you on the phone. That's what I picture in my head. We'd be seeing marriage counselling pretty quickly. You know, it's insulting, isn't it? That's not loving my wife. It's loving someone else entirely. She'd be right to be jealous. I want you to love me, not an imagined me. It's the same with God. We don't get to think of God as anything we like. We can only respond to him as he actually is, how he's actually revealed himself to us as We have to love him as he is. And any way in which we change God, diminish God, make him the God that we want him to be, it isn't loving him, it's rejecting him and worshipping something else. That's the first way we do it. The second one, I feel close to God when... It it also fails to worship God as he truly is because it doesn't appreciate how God has chosen to relate to us, as he said in Deuteronomy. You know, depending on the type of church you've grown up in, uh, if you've grown up in a church or, or, or even your own personalities and interests, uh, you'll hear people say this about many different things. You know, some people say, uh, when I walk into a, ma- a massive cathedral and, and um, see the light and, and, and the ambience, you know, the, the mood, uh, it makes me feel close to God. Uh, others uh, like the rituals of the church, you know, saying the proper words, lighting the candles. Uh, some people feel 
uh, like they get in touch with God through meditation or getting out into nature, things like that. Many of us feel close to God through music when we sing praises to our God. Now, I'm not against music. I'm not against getting out into nature. I'm not against having a decent-looking church. I'm not against tradition. But if those things are the way you experience God, you've created an idol. Because that Deuteronomy passage tells us how God relates to us through his word. He didn't come to us in meditations. He didn't give the Israelites feelings inside when they sung. He didn't speak to us through ritual. He spoke to us. He relates to us with words. And so the right way to know and experience God should be obvious. I've said it a few times now. Through God's word. The solution to not creating idols in your head, that I like to think of God as problem, is to read the Bible. To see God as he really is. How he's revealed himself to us in scriptures. We don't, go, we don't create images to remind us of his love. We go to the scriptures to hear about his love. If we want to experience God, we don't sing songs to stir the emotions. We go to the scriptures where we experience God. If we want to hear from God, we don't meditate or reflect on nature. We read the word of God where we hear his voice. We experience God, know God, relate to God through his word. That's why the Bible is the centre of all we do here at church. Our Sunday services, our our Bible studies, our youth group, our Sunday school, our scripture, our uni uni ministry, everything we do, they're all centred around the word of God because that's how God relates to us. The God of the universe is a God who speaks, who relates to us through his word. That's how the one true God relates to us. And indeed, it's particularly in his son that he has revealed himself to us. As Paul told the Colossians, uh, the son is the image of the invisible God, or as Hebrews puts it, uh, God spoke to our ancestors through the prophets. Again, speaking uh, at many times and in various ways. But in these last days, he has spoken to us by his son, whom he appointed heir of all things, and through uh, whom also he made the universe. The son is the radiance of God's glory and the exact representation of his being, sustaining all things by his powerful word. And after he provided purification for sins, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty in heaven. The one true image of God, the one that perfectly reflects God's nature and character, is Jesus himself, God come in the flesh. And so if we want to know what God is like, we look at Christ revealed in the scriptures. Christ is the perfect representation of God because he is God and he's revealed to us in the word of God. And so to know God will mean ultimately to know Jesus who, as he says, is the only way to the Father. This means that if you don't have a relationship with Christ, then the God you are worshipping is an idol as well. But thankfully for us all, as we wrap up, not only does this Jesus perfectly reveal God to us, as our Hebrews passage there says, he also deals with our sins. He provides purification for all our sins, including the sin of idolatry that we've talked about today. Christ's death on the cross, it thankfully uh, pays for our idolatry. He takes our judgment in our place and this is the true God that calls us into relationship with him.
Anyway, we might wrap up there. Let's praise our God and pray that we would love and worship him in a way that he wants. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, you are the true and living God. There is nothing in all creation that can capture your glory, your majesty, your power, your nature, your character. And so, Lord, help us never to try to do that in how we worship you. Help us not to create any idols in how we worship you, but also help us not to create idols in our head where we reimagine you in a way that doesn't truly reflect the God you are. Help us, God, to worship you and to know you, to relate to you the way you have chosen to relate to us through your word. May we be people who read your word to hear from you, to know you, to experience you. Help us to keep the Bible at the centre of what we do at church and in our own personal relationship with you. And Father, we thank you for the Lord Jesus who perfectly reveals you to us. May we love and praise and trust him forever. And we ask it in his name. Amen.